Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Having a Grand Time. For seniors who are adjusting to retirement and aging, May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Well, let's just ask the Lord to be with us today. We quiet our hearts before you, Lord. We need you so much. The Bible says, he who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And there are lots of things we need to be saved from, Lord. Principally ourselves and our sin and we call out to you today to open our hearts today to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God. We don't need to hear any particular person speak today, but we do desperately need you to speak in our hearts the truth that will set us free. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've talked about the hats, right? And what, was, what did we talk about last week? The hurdles. And this week, it's the puzzle of the prison. So we want, to, we want to take a look at this aspect of the prison. Now I want you to realize uh, most of the things I'm telling you, I didn't sit down and think about you and think what you would need and then go and do a Bible study on it. I, I don't know you well enough to know that. So most of the things I'm sharing with you are just things I've thought about over the years and have been a big help to me. So don't take anything personally because I, I know I don't know you. And, uh, but these are things that I've seen out of the scripture that have been a real encouragement to me and also orienting me as I advance in, in my years. As we look at the topic of jail uh, or prison in the Bible, a number of uh, situations come to mind. Joseph was in jail for a while in the Old Testament. And the apostles were in jail in Acts 5. And that's when the angel let them out, and they went back out and spoke again, were rearrested. Then Peter was put in jail in Acts 12, and that's when the angel comes in, and, and he's already, he's gone to sleep. You know, the angel hits him and says, you know, let's go. And he thinks it's a vision. He thinks it's a dream until he's outside, and the gate's closed, and the angel disappears. And he's like, this must not be a dream. You know, and he goes and knocks on the door, and they don't believe it's him either. But what we want to look at today primarily are the imprisonments of Paul and what we can learn about that for our own lives. I found five. If, if you need to help me on these things, if there are other, any other things that I'm missing, you know, and you say, well, Henry, he was, there were two other times he was in jail. I want to know about it. I'm all, you know, always learning new things. But he was in jail in Philippi when they cast the demon out of that girl and they, put him, they beat him and put him in jail in the stocks. And that's when the, they had the earthquake. And the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved, etc. So that was in Philippi. In Jerusalem, this is all in the last part of the book of Acts here. He's mobbed by the Jews, and the Romans put him in jail. And an angel appears, or the Lord appears to him, and gives him words of comfort and kind of tells him what he's doing. Then he's taken to Caesarea, which is on the coast of Palestine. And he's there for two years. And then finally, in the book, of, the, end, the book of Acts ends with Paul being put in prison in Rome under what was called house arrest. Now I want, us to, I want you to be opening your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, while you're looking, you, you keep shuffling, no problem. You be finding Ephesians chapter 6. 
But we have Rome one and Rome two because there were two different Roman imprisonments, at least two that we know of. And the second one was during the persecution of Nero at the end of which, as far as we know, and we don't know, we don't have actual historic documents, uh, but we, uh, it's assumed that at the end of the second Roman imprisonment was when he was executed, probably by beheading. So, the Jerusalem Caesarea in Rome was all kind of the same period of time. They were just, he was in Jerusalem, then they transferred him to the prison in Caesarea, and then they shipped him to, to Rome. And then he was let out, and for a period of time was again preaching, maybe went to Spain, and finally was imprisoned the second and last time in Rome. And you're thinking, what does that have to do with me or anything else? But uh, we want to see what we can get out of this. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, this will be our, our opening text, verse 18. He's talking about prayer. We're going to read eight, verse 18 through 20 in Ephesians chapter 6. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He wrote this letter of Ephesians while he was in this uh, first Roman imprisonment under house arrest there in Rome. Now, during this time, for Jerusalem, Caesarea, and Rome, that's when he wrote the four, what's called the four prison epistles. Can anybody name what the four prison epistles are? I already told you one, right? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then the real little one, Philemon. Galatians, he wasn't in jail. Uh, so those four, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. But he wrote another epistle in prison. I just found this out. That's what I love about uh, going back and looking at things because uh, I find all the things I didn't see. The second Roman imprisonment was when he wrote 2 Timothy. And he mentioned several times in that book that he's in prison. And apparently the second one was much harder than the first Roman imprisonment. He mentions, uh, please bring my coat. It's cold here. Come before winter. He's all alone. This was a very, very difficult imprisonment. Now, as we think about this issue of prison, particularly with God's people, it's somewhat puzzling. Why God would allow his servant to be put in a situation like that for so long? I had a nice a time, nice time, an interesting time, uh, visiting in the prison in 95, 96. I was involved in uh, a prison Bible study, and it was a real education. Um, some of the things that, uh, as I've meditated on, the, as, uh, on this uh, idea of prison, uh, both uh, a literal prison and prisoners, uh, both in, in the Bible, and then also in a figurative sense, the prisons we can kind of get into sometimes. There are a number of thoughts that don't necessarily equally apply to every situation, but they apply in many situations. So let's think about the whole idea of prison and then move on. There's shame associated with being in prison. A lot of times Paul would make mention of, well, they, there are people that are glad that I'm here in prison. He says that in, in the beginning of Philippians. Whenever, you can imagine, whenever somebody was put in prison, it's not as though they put it in the paper what was going on. You know, where's John? Oh, he's in jail. Why is he in jail? I don't know. Well, what did he do? Well, he must have done something. Anybody that's not your friend is going to assume the worst, right? Even if you are innocent, 
there's a, a huge stigma attached with being in jail. And I'm sure it was the same way in the Roman Empire. It's embarrassing. It's humbling. People who don't like you whisper that you're probably guilty or, you, or else you wouldn't be there. Many of you have had different situations in your life that maybe isn't prison, but it might be a particular problem with a child. It might be a problem in your marriage or in your job. And it could be that you were the innocent party, but all people know is uh, just that thing about you. And they say, well, you see, they're that kind of a person. And it might not be true at all, uh, but we've all experienced a, a stigma placed on us either by our birth or our upbringing or a particular life situation that's brought shame on us and perhaps very unjustly. Now, people have many different ambitions. We, we grew up having all sorts of things that we, dreams and goals and ambitions, but no one longs to be in jail. Have you ever heard a five-year-old who said, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a prisoner. Uh, that just doesn't happen. Being in prison is, a, is being trapped. What a desperate feeling. Probably at times feeling frantic, times of crying, depression, complaining, waiting, dreaming, and it just goes on and on. Sometimes we can feel like we're in a prison, in a situation that we don't control, but that affects us like a prison. With young people, it could be the prison of sexual temptation. It could be emotions or an addiction, uh, smoking, drinking, drugs. It could be peer pressure. With adults, it could be singleness, the prison of singleness, when you would rather be married. It could be a prison of overeating. You, you don't want to overeat, but you just find yourself doing it. It could be a prison of lust. With older people, it can be loneliness or failing health. All that can be like a prison in our lives, limiting us, shutting us up, making us feel trapped, a sense of desperation, at times just frustration, sometimes anger. Now, when you talk with people who are in a, an enclosed situation like that, that are feeling like they're in prison, what they normally talk about is their prison because that's what's limiting them. That's where they really feel shut up and, uh, and limited. If a person is in a real prison, like Paul, Paul, you would think, and, and the other prisoners would talk about how bad the food is. They would talk about how cold it is. They would talk about the rats, the poor sanitary conditions, etc. And Paul never wished prison on anyone. Paul never said, uh, boy, if you can get in prison, that would be wonderful. That would really look good on your spiritual resume. Paul says in Acts 26, he said, I would to God that all who hear me might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul didn't wish prison on anyone. Now, when we think of Paul, this was really a 14-carat gold laborer in the kingdom of heaven. Here he is, converted from being a Pharisee and out of uh, Judaism, the strictest sense, to following Jesus Christ. He was eloquent. He was educated. He was a Roman citizen. He was single, so he was very mobile. He was totally committed. And everywhere he went, he had fruitful ministry. And then God locks him up for at least four years of his mature life, when he's at the peak of his power, and uh, spiritually, he'd seen visions, there all kind of things that he had on his resume. And God locks him up in a box and leaves him there for four years. Now think about what he's gone through now with prison. Now see, when he gets to prison in, in, in Rome, he's already been in prison before. This isn't new to him. 
And if the first time you were in prison, you sang a song, and there was an earthquake, and the doors open, what do you think he did the next times he was in prison? Let's sing, boys. <laughs> this is the one we sang back in Philippi. You're going to love this. We're going to sing. We're going to get to about the third stanza, and the ground's going to shake, and the doors are going to open, and then the jailers and all of his family is going to receive Christ. So they're singing and singing, and he's thinking, well, boy, we've been singing for a while, and there's no earthquake. Then in Jerusalem, the Lord appears to him in the cell right there and speaks with him. In Caesarea, two years. Rome, two years. And the last one, we don't know. There's no mention of an earthquake. There's no mention of an appearing of the Lord. He's just there in prison. It looks like we're going downhill. You'd think we'd start off with just, just being in prison, and then, then the Lord would appear, and then the earth would shake. It's like that passage at the end of Isaiah 40. We will mount up with wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not faint. We're getting slower and slower here. First we were flying with the eagles, and then we're running, and then we're walking. Uh, you know, if he'd continue, he probably said, we'll, we'll crawl and not collapse. It doesn't sound like progress, but sometimes in the kingdom of heaven, progress looks different than in the kingdom of man. But this is the puzzle of the prison. Why would God take somebody so fruitful, so blessed, so full of the Holy Spirit, and lock him up in jail where uh, after he shared with the few people around there, I mean, he doesn't have anything else to do. Why would God do that to him? And why would God do that to you? And that's what we want to talk about today. What's the prison experience like? Let's go into that just a little bit more just to think about it because it's, it's very unpleasant even though there are different kinds of prisons but in jail in general usually has bad food there's no special of the day, you know, it's just the same old mush. There's, and probably for Paul, there was no bathroom, maybe just something in the corner. We don't want to dwell on that. Bugs, lice, roaches, cold, damp, lonely, bad company, maybe beatings, ridicule, long, slow pain. He was old, old as probably all of his joints were killing him. No medical treatment, no aspirin, no shots, no infirmary in the prison. Sleeplessness, it's very noisy in, in prisons because it's all just stone and metal. And nobody's w worried about you getting your beauty rest. The guards aren't out there saying, shh, Paul's having his afternoon nap. You know, they see somebody asleep, they'll be more than happy to clang the, their tin cup on the, on the bars to wake them up. No privacy. And let's talk now, that's, what, that's from the outside in. Let's talk about from the inside out. What must it be like? What must you feel when you're in a prison? There's self-doubt uh, on the part of Paul uh, being, did I disobey God? Was there something I did wrong? Why would he lock me up like this? There, there are limits. You'd like to go take a walk. Well, I can't leave the cell. I, I'd like to go see my mother. You hear that your father is sick. You can't go see him. There, you're, there are limits. And that produces anger and frustration, that you can't do what you used to be able to do. Their fears, I wonder how long this is going to last. I wonder if it's going to get even worse. As bad as it is being in prison, I hear that later on they torture you and chop your head off. So it's not only the discomfort of what you're in right now, but the fear that it might get even worse. Or even if it doesn't get worse, that it might never end. That it might go on and on. And there's a sense of uselessness. I used to be so useful, active, productive, and now I'm, I'm just a 
a nobody and a nothing sitting here and not accomplishing anything. And a sense of feeling forgotten. Does anyone care? You realize that, that life outside goes on without you. And nobody really knows what you're going through. This is very similar to some of the prisons that we can be in. Now, I'm going to focus where our overall talk is having a grand time for those anybody that's visiting us because most of us, most of you are in the age of being grandparents. Now, you may not be a grandparent, but that's, that's why we're using that particular term because we want to focus as specifically as we can on things that might be useful to us. And there are certain health conditions that from, frankly, from age 20 on, <laughs> you could get that could make you feel like you're in a prison. Some people have a very bad knee. Some people have a very bad back. I was in, uh, uh, on my back for three months with a ruptured disc in my back. And at times like that, you don't know if and when it's going to get better and if and when you'll be able to get up and if your life will ever be the same. And that's sort of like a prison. And you can have the same feelings of self-doubt is there, God, did I disobey you? Did I displease you? Is that why? Is this a punishment for something? There's the anger and frustration that comes from being so limited. I used to be able to do, so, go here, go there, serve, and, and help. And everybody would say, oh, you're just doing so great. Look at all these things you're doing. And now I'm just sitting here or lying here. I can't do anything. And that makes me angry. I'm frustrated. There could be fears. How long will this last? And will it get even worse? And can I handle that? There's a sense of uselessness. I used to be so productive, and now I'm, don't, I'm of no good to anybody. And there's the sense of feeling forgotten. Even with loved ones, you realize they don't know what you're going through. They don't, they don't understand. And maybe it's unreasonable to expect that they could, but it's an awful feeling to feel that nobody understands you. And you think, well, if I try to tell them, they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that that doesn't get through. And if I don't say anything, they think everything's just normal and I'm having a terrible time inside. And I wish somebody understood. Are we connecting? Are you understanding what I'm talking about today? Let's look at what we can learn from this. Because the fact is, all of us are in jail or going to be in jail sometime or another. We're all future inmates. Now, we're all here today because we're not there yet. Uh, you, couldn't have, you couldn't have gotten here today. So I'm not, I'm not in one sense, this, this is a more preparing myself for future situations like Paul. I believe the reason why Paul did so well in jail was because he did so well before jail. He was ready for it. And what was it that God got out of this? Well, in Philippi, there was a whole family that came to know Christ. But... It also had a happy ending. He got out of jail. With Jerusalem, Caesarea, and Rome, it was also temporary. It only lasted about five years. Five years? I mean, that sounds like it must seem like an eternity when you're in jail. And during this period of time, probably in the, when, he was, when he got to Rome, he wrote these four prison epistles. And think, but yeah, all the people he couldn't talk to back then. All those people back then are long gone. But the word of the Lord abides forever. And some of the greatest treasures we have in the Bible was because Paul was in jail writing those four books. Generation after generation have read that. Now, he had no idea that would happen. He just had to trust God that God had a plan, even if he didn't know what it was. But God 
brought some wonderful things out of this imprisonment in Rome. So let's look at what we can learn from this to apply to our own lives. The first thing we need to do when we have that sense of being closed in, and that could be, it could also be with, uh, with a bad marriage. It could be with a problem child. Anything that really severely limits you. It's not so much that it's, it's agonizing pain all the time, but it's enclosing. You can't go where you'd like to go, do what you'd like to do, and you feel trapped. So that, that's um, what we're going to talk about now, is what you can do, what the Bible teaches is what we can do in those kind of situations. And the first thing is, is to reject the enemy's lies. To reject the enemy's lies. It says in, uh, we were in Ephesians 6, that's a good place to just look at what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And the very first thing he talks about as far as putting on the armor is having girded your loins with truth. Truth combats the enemy's lies. And one of the things that afflicts us when we're stuck in a prison is we got too much time to think. And we think and we think and we think and we dig ourselves right down. We think negatively about others. We think bad about ourselves. We get upset with God. And we just make matters worse. We already have enough problems. And then our mind goes and goes and goes and we make it worse. And so the first thing we need to do is reject the enemy's lies. To remember that God does love you, that he has put his best people in jail, whether that be a sickbed or anything else. That does not mean that you are rejected or put on the shelf or that God doesn't love you when you are in a trapped situation. Paul was trapped and God did wonderful things through that. He has a plan. Jesus doeth all things well. The second thing is to realize that all jails are temporary. This is not forever. Might be the rest of my earthly life, but it's not forever. He will deliver you from every prison and from every jail. Now, the deliverance in Philippi was an earthquake. The deliverance here in Jerusalem, Caesarea, and Rome was he was released. And the deliverance in Rome was that the Lord took him to heaven. But Paul never stayed in jail forever. And neither will you and neither will I. We will live forever. Because one of the things the enemy tries to do is he tries to get you to think, oh, this is just going on and on. This will never end. It will end. It will end. And we look at what Paul says, that, that passage that you have memorized, you can quote backwards and forwards. You might not know the exact reference, Philippians 4.13. But he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where was Paul writing that? In prison. So in context, what was he saying? I can do prison through him who strengthens me. I can do that. I have a friend who's a missionary in Bogota, used to be, and it was just so hard, and they were starting this little business on the side to be able to get to know non-Christians, it, but it was just so hard with the bribes and the thieves and, and the, the workers and everything. And one day, my friend Jim was coming home and just thinking, if I didn't have a family, I would just ask God to take me right now. I just can't take it anymore. This is just too hard. And he got home and poured out his heart to his wife, and, and she, <laughs> I guess her gift is at mercy. She... She looked at him and she said, Jim, you're a big boy 
and big boys do hard things. <laughs> well, <laughs> like Winston Churchill in World War II or something, but, uh, but in Jesus Christ, you can do this. I mean, it's not maybe what you'd like to do, but we need to get over what we'd like out of life and learn to live for what he wants. I'm his penny, and he can spend me any way he wants. I can do all things through Christ. Realize that all jails are temporary. Third, receive what the Lord has for you in this. Receive what the Lord has for you in this. What could the Lord possibly have for me in jail? I used to be, so I was his biggest helper. And now I, he's tied me up. I can't help him anymore. He says, well, Henry, you were never that big of a help anyway. And that's not the main reason why I love you. You're my treasure just because of who you are. Now, what does God have in mind when you're in jail, when you're locked up in a prison that you did not choose, either your body or your, your marriage or your fam some family situation, some financial situation? That also can be like a jail. Prison, being in jail, being trapped like that, puts to death many common conceptions of life. Life in terms of pleasure. Some people think, well, if you're not having fun, you're not living. Other people think it's, got, it's fellowship. You need to have fellowship. That's what really is the heart of living. Others, it's serving. Serve here, serve there. Others, it's ministry. Uh, I just need to be serve as an elder or a deacon or in Sunday school. For others, it's sports. Now, most of us, it's not sports anymore. We've, got, we've given up on that one. But I do like a, a good game of ping pong. For some people, it's work. They just going to work, and, and they just do so well at work. And they, they thought, that's, that's really my life. That's why retirement's so hard. Uh, for others, it's travel. But you get to the point where you can't even travel. Uh, and for others, it's eating. But you can get to the point where nothing even tastes good. And if your understanding of what your life was was in any of those things, uh, it's a dead-end street. And prison removes begins to remove all of these things. It takes the glitter off of, the shine off of life in this earth. The only understanding of life, what is my life, that works, is that life is an opportunity to do His will. It's an opportunity to please Him. There is nothing that can happen to you, and no limitation and no jail you can be put in that will ever keep you from being able to do that. That's something you can always have as a goal and shoot for. Isn't that wonderful? We don't need to be afraid that somehow my life is going to be taken away from me. We are going to live forever. Now, we're going to have a couple of bumps as we finish our course on this earth. But the Lord knows that. He's not up there biting his nails. You know, there are no panic buttons in heaven. There's no big red button up in heaven where, where the Lord says, oh, no, look what they're going through. They're about to have a stroke. Hit the button, you know, bang, bang, ding, 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 ding. So, you know, the, the people racing around in heaven, oh, we're so worried about biting our nails. No, in heaven there's a complete calm. The Lord knows every day of your life from here throughout the rest of eternity. And he is not, he's not worried about it. So you don't need to be either. Now, that's easy to say, isn't it? But that's the truth. And look, so look at Paul's attitude as he was in jail. When you, you know, uh, we said when people are in jail, they tend to talk about their jail. Oh, this, my knee is just killing me, my back. Can you believe how this is going with my family? And, you, and 
They talk about it. But you read the, read the prison epistles now that you know what they are. Look at what Paul talks about. He talks about the glory of God and he talks about the ministry. He's thinking, he's praying. It's like he's directing the symphony from jail. He says, Paul, you can't do anything. He says, but God can do everything. And I can do everything that he wants me to do through Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful victory that he had in prison that maybe he would never have understood if he hadn't been put in prison. There are things that you can only learn in jail. And you don't want to miss that by banging your head against the bars. And the fourth, and I've really been building up to this because this is my favorite part. This is kind of like the candy uh, at the end. This is dessert. I, you, I, you bet you, I bet you've got a favorite dessert. And uh, I, I've got several. But, uh, <laughs> but fresh berries, strawberries, blueberries, aren't they good? And you can put those in things, you know, a shortcake and pies and everything. But at the end of our talk today, I want to give you a little poem, or a couple of verses of it, that to me really capture a person who had the victory in this thing of the prison. And I believe this person, her name was Jean-Marie uh, de la Motte-Guillon. I think she was French. <laughs> and she lived in the 1600s, and I'm pretty sure she was bedridden. Now, aren't you glad that we're not bedridden? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we all may, might be eventually, but uh, unless we have a convenient car accident that keeps us from getting that far. But this person was living for years, not being able to even get out of bed. And we want to look at this poem she wrote because it so captures what I, I have as an ambition for my life. Listen to this. A little bird I am, shut from the fields of air. The idea is she's in a little bird cage. A little bird I am, shut from the fields of air, and in my cage I sit and sing to him who placed me there. Well pleased a prisoner to be, because my God, it pleases thee. Naught have I else to do. She couldn't do anything. I sing the whole day long. And he whom most I love to please doth listen to my song. He caught and bound my wandering wing. But still he bends to hear me sing. And you are his songbird. And he made you where you could fly and where you could sing. But because it's so much fun flying and being active in this life, many times we did a lot more flying than singing. Didn't pray much. Maybe we complained a whole lot more than we praised. We were a little bit low on Thanksgiving, always seeing what we didn't have and always striving for more. And could it not be that God, at some point, we want to strengthen your song? And he binds our wings. And now I can't fly where I used to be able to fly. And I'm shut up in a cage. Am I going to beat myself black and blue against the bars of my cage? Or can I learn to sing? Just like a songbird. And realize that's a wonderful thing, too. I told you about my friend 
in Argentina whose 90-year-old mother was, I think I told you about that, was run over by the bus and her, lost her leg and was dying, lying in bed. And her daughter could hear her at night and thought she was in pain and would ask her what's going on. And finally, she just listened at the door and she could hear her saying again and again, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah. She couldn't sleep. Just went on for days and days, just waiting to die. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. This isn't something that comes from one day to the next. This is something you prepare for your whole life. These kind of victories aren't something that's just like a pill somebody can give you or a little prayer someone can pray over you. You are training your soul now. We should never have a retirement attitude in the spiritual life. Our most challenging days are before us right now. And when he puts us in that prison, whatever, in whatever form it takes, I want to be ready. I want to reject the enemy's lies that I'm here by the will of God. Paul says, I am the Lord's prisoner. I want to realize that all jails are temporary. Hope, hope is what gives me the strength to live through today's hell, knowing that heaven is just around the corner. Hope is the strength that gives me the ability to live through today's hell, because sometimes it's really awful what you need to go through, and no one understands, and there's a loneliness and frustration and fear and all of that. But the blessed hope of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting anchors me in the truth that all jails are temporary. This is just a moment. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. But I need to do this well. I need to do this in Jesus Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Lord, you're enough to bring me through today. And you worry about tomorrow. Third, I believe that God, ha in every situation, God has some things he's wanting to give me and do in me and use me for, even if it's just to learn to sing and to pray and to praise. But whatever it is you have for me in every situation, Lord, speak to my heart. Open my heart. Help me not to close in. Help me not to get hardened and bitter and cynical. Help me not to afflict all the people around me just because I'm going through affliction. Help me to be like that alabaster vase of perfume that when it was crushed and broken, only perfume came out. Take away the rottenness of my heart. And finally, Lord, I want to learn to rejoice before you, whatever the circumstance. Because we're all going to be in jail. Jail is not the end of my life. It's just another chapter in my life. And some jails you, you end up getting out of, and some jails you don't get out of. And sometimes you're not going to know when you're in jail which one it is. <laughs> and we'd all love to be always miraculously healed, better sooner than later, and be back on our merry way. But we need to realize that's in the Lord's hands. He knows the plan he has for me. It's a good plan. Jesus doeth all things well. I'm going to trust him in this. And to close, I just want to say, religion, just being religious, is too weak and too little to bring you through this. 
By religion, I mean just the activities, just coming to Sunday school and going to church, getting that tie on right, and if you've got a name tag, getting that on, and showing up. That is not a strong enough thing to get you through this, or me. Christianity is not a religion, a set of things that you believe and a set of activities you do. It is a relationship with a living person who's more real than you or me. We didn't imagine him. He imagined us. We are a figment of his imagination. He is the reality. We are the illusion. And it's only as we come into a living and dynamic relationship with him that we can really take his hand. Religion will not hold your hand. Maybe the, the minister can come visit you and give you a prayer, but that is just too little with what you're going to have to go through and what I'm going to have to go through sooner or later in this life. We need to know the Lord and have him close to us because no one's going to be able to bring us through this but the Lord. So let's close in prayer and call out to him, trusting that as he's delivered others, he will deliver us. Lord, in a way we can't explain, you fill this place. You are on our left hand and on our right. You are above us and below us, behind us and in front of us. But many times we feel alone. We feel distant from you and from others. Teach our hearts, Lord. You have whispered things into our hearts and minds in these days and as we open the scripture and as we talk and share together. But we realize how much we need you, Lord. The depth of our need. We ask your forgiveness for our anger, our frustration, our unkind words, for afflicting the people around us when we are afflicted. Please forgive us. Help us, Lord, to do better. This is not a time to be retired in our Christian life, but to be growing stronger, firmer, deeper, broader in our soul. And Lord, as you've, if and when you place us in that birdcage, in that prison of our body or our circumstances, Lord, we pray that what you taught this woman, that you would teach us. A little bird I am shut from the fields of air, of air, and in my cage I sit and sing to him who placed me there, well pleased a prisoner to be, because my Lord, it pleases thee. Help us, Lord. The victory is yours. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In his name we pray. Amen. for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.